In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is the camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Yes, welcome into the camp. I am Zach Heilprin. He is the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Appreciate you joining us, as always. Really, really appreciate it. If you can rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, we really appreciate that. It helps us out. We are uh, finally in game week. The Badgers are going to be taking on Illinois State on Saturday night, Camp Randall Stadium, a 6 o'clock kickoff. We're excited to see the team. However, news broke this morning, Monday morning, that uh, they are going to be without backup quarterback Chase Wolf for an extended period of time. We don't know exactly how long he's going to be out. Uh, Graham Mertz let us know today that he's having surgery today, which I'm sure everyone at UW really appreciated from Graham Mertz. Um, but the extent of uh, the the knee injury that he uh, reportedly has is uh, unsure. But it certainly uh, is a talking point, Jesse. Uh, and you know, I I think it's I don't know how significant it is. It's significant if Graham Mertz goes down. I think I thought and I have thought that they are in uh, a little bit of trouble if Graham goes down anyways. Even if it was going to be Chase Wolf, just based on his struggles of, of holding out of the ball. But just initial reaction when he heard that the uh, batter's going to be without Chase Wolf. Well, obviously it stinks for Chase, a fifth-year guy who has stayed the course here at Wisconsin despite being a career backup. From a team perspective, yeah, if, if Graham gets hurt, they're they're going into a whole new world. And it's certainly it's an if at this point, but there's nobody else on the roster other than Chase that has appeared in a college game. Uh, I spoke to somebody who said that uh, it was a torn meniscus that he suffered in practice on Friday. And at this point, the recovery could be anywhere from six weeks to four months. Now that is obviously a wide range and it is the difference between potentially being available later in the season and not playing at all. That's to be determined, but it leaves Wisconsin with Deacon Hill, Miles Burkett, and then a walk-on true freshman named Marshall Howe. So I think that the natural inclination is that Deacon Hill becomes the backup quarterback simply because he's the only guy who's even got a year in the program. Um, I don't know what that will look like. You and I have talked in fall <laughs> camp that he's made some strides, but I think that's a situation Wisconsin fans at this point don't want to see. As as maligned as Graham Mertz has been during certain stretches, this is Mertz's offense. This is Mertz's team, and uh, you know we'll we'll see where the offense goes from here. It, well, it sounds like in terms of you know, the, the, how long he's going to be out. You know, you don't know until you get in and do the surgery, like how extensive the damage is. Right. So like, I feel like that's probably what the way, what, why there's such a wide gap in, in how long it's going to be. But even if it's six weeks, that takes you, like, even if it's on the low end, it takes you almost into, um, you know, the middle to the, you know, to middle-ish of October. And that's, that's best case scenario. If it's, if it turns out to be worse, he's done for the season. Um, but even then, I mean, like, November, maybe. I, I don't know. It's it's unfortunate for him. Definitely is. And that and I, I think we at least need to acknowledge that. He, as you mentioned, you did a story on him, him staying around. A lot of quarterbacks wouldn't have done it, right? Like a lot of a lot of quarterbacks, as we've seen, the transfer portal, it is if I'm not starting here, if I'm not getting minutes here, I'm moving on. And that's not what Chase did. He didn't do it in high school and he hasn't done it in college. So you have to give him credit for that. But Deacon Hill. Uh, I'm, I'm getting a little, a little loopy here thinking about the arms, <laughs> thinking about the intoxicated, I believe is the word we're looking for. Yeah. Fully no, intoxicated. no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting loopy. I'm not necessarily intoxicated yet. Uh, I, I come Saturday night about, well, depending on, on how this game goes, maybe eight 30, eight 45. I am fully intoxicated because we may, we may get to see it and it may look horrible. I don't know. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like when uh, Deacon Hill gets into a game. He had his moments in the spring. He had his moments a little bit to a lesser extent. We get to see as much, obviously, and, and nobody got to see him in that uh, open practice. But, you know, he, he brings something different, certainly, with his arm strength. And uh, we just don't know always where that ball is going to go. But I think that the positive thing would be is if he's throwing it, you know, as hard as he does – going to be a little tough for the guys to pick it off. It's going to be like Brett Favre, right? Like throw the ball really hard. So even if they do get their hands on it, 
will they catch it? That's that's the thing. Um, no, I'm I'm jo- I'm joking, of course. I, I I again, I still maintain I have high expectations for Deacon Hill. I certainly didn't think it was going to be this year, but I, I I feel like at some point in his career he'll be a starter. That's based completely on just the little snippets and little glimpses of some of the the skill that he has. I just for Wisconsin's sake, for Wisconsin's fan for the fans' sake, I would hope it's not this year because I don't know if he's ready. Well, I asked Braylon Allen about Deacon, and you'll be shocked to know that the statements he made included he can throw the ball a mile, and I think <laughs> he's got one of the craziest arms that I've seen. Um, that goes without saying. We've been writing about that, talking about that for a long time, and the, the key for Deacon is all the other elements, which you and I have also discussed, the putting more touch on passes. And I talked to him at local media day, which is the day before fall camp starts, and he said that that was a big focal point for him during the offseason, and so was slimming down. He was listed at 262 pounds on the spring roster. He's down to 251. He said he started to take things more seriously off the field. He always took, always took football seriously, but he felt like he needed to get into a better routine, including with his diet. I thought in the short snippets that we had to watch him that he looked better, a little more controlled, maybe a little more accurate, but we're talking about going against the reserves in fall camp and no one's barreling down on you trying to to level you. And that's a tight, an entirely different situation. It, it's not an ideal spot for Wisconsin to be in, but you know, they've, they've had this happen many times over the years. Think about all the years. And I just wrote about this not too long ago, all the years uh, where Wisconsin has needed a, a backup to play because the starter got hurt. Um, it just happens all the time, but right now it happens to be a backup. So as long as Graham Mertz is healthy, you know, Wisconsin's got a, a, clearly a much better chance this season. I just, I don't know what this team looks like if, if they've got to go the, the Deacon Hill route. I agree with you though. I think he's got a good future. I just, I don't think that this year is the year that you wanted to see him thrown into the mix. If that should come to pass. Like what year is the year that they haven't had a guy have to play due to injury? Um, I think there's at, only been a couple. I think there's 2019. only two. Yep. 2019. The, Even the though, Jack Cone Rose Bowl year. You know, what's and, hilarious about, you know, what's hilarious about that is that he was, very, very injured. Like he was yes. definitely dinged up and he still was able to, like there were times when he wasn't able to practice like on Thursdays and Grant thought that there was a chance he was going to, not Thursdays, um, at some point in the week and there was a chance like he was going to get a chance to play and it just never happened because Jack is a tough son of a bitch. But um, He had the high ankle sprain early in the season against Michigan, right? Yep. And yep. then 2017 is the other one that comes to mind, the Alex Hornerbrook Orange Bowl year. Um, kind of Kind of interesting to think about when you've got a healthy quarterback who's playing well, you go to the orange bowl and the Rose bowl. So it makes a huge difference. Yeah. The thing about Deacon is he he did take off a little bit uh, on some throws. We saw it a couple times and I I asked wide receivers and asked, I actually asked Ches Malusi about it today. Just, you know, does, has Deacon, you know, learned to take a little bit off of things? Has he been, has he been able to do that? Cause I think that was a a big problem. Like he would just like, even on a little five or, you know, yard crosser, it was guys getting their head taken off at, at points. And I, I think that there's there's some growth there for him. I think as he becomes more comfortable in the offense and knowing where the ball needs to go, I think maybe you just stop thinking so much and you just go out and do. And there were there were signs that there had been improvement there. But again, I I, I don't think it'll be great for him or the or the team if if he ends up having to play a lot of football this fall. So uh, we'll see. Uh, Wisconsin again gets Illinois State on Saturday night, and I expect, assuming everything goes correctly to see Deacon Hill on Saturday night. I think that's good. I think potentially being able to get uh, some time here, whether it's in this game or the third game against New Mexico state, maybe it's Washington state. We'll see. I I think that game is going to be closer than a lot of people thinking, but uh, those two games could be very valuable for him moving forward. We'll see. Moving on to uh, the depth chart because we got it. We got a depth chart. We got some, the depth chart and the injury report. I think uh, today is a very valuable lesson in and looking at it and taking it for uh, what it is because obviously Chase Wolf was on the depth chart, but it wasn't on the injury report. Tanner Bordellini on the depth chart, or excuse me, not on the depth chart, but on the injury report. Alexander Smith on the depth chart, not on the injury report, but also not available to reporters, uh, which would suggest that he's still dealing with that injury. So they just take it all, you know, with, uh, with a grain of salt and, and Vito Calvaruso, the starting kicker. Do we know that he's back and actually taking part, Jesse? <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. Obviously reporters haven't had a chance to watch practice here the last 
week and a half or so and won't this week. But that was a bit of a surprise to me that he's, he's listed as the number one kicker, even though Nate Van Zelst handled all the kicks. Yeah. And Nate and Vito Calvaruso, not the kickoff guy, Jack Van Dyke, the kickoff guy, which Jack Van Dyke had held that uh, role in 2020. So uh, again, I it's, it's a very good reminder of taking what you see on a depth chart, what you see on an injury report, and at least being mildly critical of it and, and look at it and maybe not take it as a hundred percent. So with that said, some interesting things on the depth chart. I think a lot of expected spots, uh, Braylon Allen, you're starting running back a little bit, you know, that's, uh, that was expected, right? No. All right. Um, yeah. Yes. So, yes. Okay. Good. Thank you. Thank Delayed you. response. Yes. Um, and at the wide receiver spot, Chimray DK and Skylar Bell, just like we expected, and Marcus Allen and Keontes Lewis behind him. Obviously, Dean Ingram not on there, but fully expect Dean to play a lot of football. Uh, the the one, the offensive line, notable, Riley Malman. We saw him overtake uh, the number one spot in fall camp about midway through, and not get. And uh, it appears he has not given it up. He is the starting right tackle over Logan Brown. Uh, the the one perhaps surprise there is is at center where you have obviously Joe Tipman as your starter. Trey Wedding as your backup center, uh, a spot that I had not seen him a lot at uh, or at, me personally at all in, in team drills, at least during fall camp. But he gets that. I think Dylan Barrett was supposed to be potentially that guy. Dylan Barrett, the, the number one at right guard. So I think those are number those, two, number two at right guard. What did I say? Number one. one. But yeah, yeah I, meant, I meant number two at right guard behind Michael Furtney. So there's a, a, a couple notable things there in the offensive line. Yeah, and especially Wedig at, at the backup center. We know that Bob Bostad has said before that he doesn't want to move guys around. Um, obviously, sometimes you have to do that out of necessity. <laughs> He's 6'7", 315. I realize that Tipman 6'6", 317, but I remember when when Wedig came in um, it, that Paul Christ described him as someone with a prototypical tackle body. Now he said the same thing about Jack Nelson. They, those guys came in together. Six, seven guy playing center. You don't necessarily see that a ton. Uh, it speaks to his versatility if he does wind up there because we've seen him at guard. We've seen him at tackle. And also another name is, is Joe Brunner being there as the backup left yeah. guard. It's notable simply because you look at the two deep. He's the only true freshman in the two deep. Um, says an awful lot. And I know he was the highest rated guy in the, the 2022 recruiting class, a four-star in-state prospect. But uh, Bob boasted awfully high on Brunner. Yeah, that that was certainly something. It, it was predictable, though, right? Like just because he had been, he had kind of been that guy during fall camp. But I think it's at least noteworthy that he's still there. And I, and, and he, I again, I don't know. Like when Tanner Borrelini gets back, we don't know how long he's going to be out. But when he gets back, could he be the first guy in at any of those the, those three spots? I think it's a possibility, right? If he's back and he's healthy, he could be the number one off the bench in any of those three spots. But at least. Joe Brunner made an, uh, enough of a impact or enough of a impression on Bob Bostad to, to slide in there. And he was with the number two team before Tanner, uh, Tanner Bordelini got hurt. So he, he definitely made an impact. And as I think we said the last time we talked, he doesn't look like a freshman. No, he's he's mean and he's nasty. Um, I'm with you, though, that I think Bordelini would be the top option at a lot of these spots. We've seen him before. He's started at multiple spots on the line. Um but it shows how bright the future is at, at the O-line. I mean, look at the the backups. Now you, your two backup tackles were five-star players, so, and obviously that doesn't mean everything or even anything because if it did, Logan Brown would have been starting three years ago. But Nolan Rucci, Logan Brown, your two backup tackles, five-star players, your backup center and, and your backup left guard were four-star in-state prospects. So there's just a lot of really good talent there that I think if you're a Badgers fan, it should give you confidence that if something were to happen to one of the starters, there's some guys that Bosted can plug in there. Yeah. On the other side of the ball is about as I expected, at least in the uh, the, the defensive line, right? Rodas Johnson, Keanu Benton, and Isaiah Mullins at the top line. Behind them with Isaac Townsend missing most of fall camp and uh, being out for this week against uh, Illinois State. He's dealing with the leg injury, missed a bunch of time. Caden McDonald, who I thought had a really, really good spring, is listed as the backup, one of the backup defensive ends. James Thompson Jr., obviously there as well. We talked about him the last time we had a show with what he looked like in uh, in that open practice, a couple, a bunch of plays in the backfield. And Gio Piaz, as expected, the, the backup nose tackle, though I think you know Ben Barton probably could also see time. But Gio Piaz, after missing... All of spring 
you know, situated himself and and will be the, I don't want to say the future there because he's already a junior, but you know, when Keanu Benton moves on next year, could be the could be the guy. Uh the, none of that surprised. Uh the uh the big jobs that we talked about throughout fall camp was inside linebacker, right? It was who's gonna be the guys uh, of the five that really had a shot. And it turns out it's gonna be uh Muma uh Jong Meta and Jordan Turner as the as the number one guys. They beat out uh Muma beat out Jake Cheney for that job. And Jordan Turner beat out Tatum Grass for that job. And obviously, Brian Sanborn played a role as well. Just based on what we saw, I had, you know, Tate Grass and uh, Jake Cheney as the first team, be- only because only because it felt like they really, really liked Tate Grass. And it felt like Jordan Turner was not like running with the ones nearly as much as I thought he was. But I still think he's the star of that group. Like, I think Jordan Turner has just unlimited potential with his speed and his intensity. And his just, uh, I don't want to say his will, it's a little little cheesy there, but the dude's intense. And I think he's got a lot of playmaking ability just in the small little thing that we got to see of him last year. I think that stood out. Yeah, he played 24 snaps. He finished with six tackles and two interceptions. I don't know how you can make more of an impact. What was it, four tackles and seven snaps in the bowl game against Arizona State? So neither one of us are surprised to see him in the the number one role based on what we'd seen throughout the offseason and even the way that, Spring practices ended. He had worked his way into the number one spot. Mumajong Meta, I think, is the the more I don't want to say interesting story because Jordan, like like you, I agree, he's kind of the next great potential inside linebacker. But Muma's been around for a long time, and he played fifty eight snaps last season in a reserve role. Dealt with a lot during his career here. Nick Herbig said that he's playing a lot more physical. He described him as freaky athletic, and that he makes some plays that you just normally don't see guys do. So. There's a lot of potential there. I'm really interested to see not only those two guys, but quite frankly, how often this inside linebacker group rotates. Mark D'Onofrio, obviously, is coming in. He's the third position coach they've had since the end of last season, so there's a a feeling-out process there. But it's not a 1A, 1B situation like there was last year, and then just there's nobody else. It's you know Jack Sanborn and Leo Chanel basically played every snap last season with a handful of Mike Mascalunas. I, I think you can legitimately see four or even five guys play it inside linebacker, and that was something that Jim Leonard told reporters earlier in fall camp as well. So just because you've got those two guys listed as a starter doesn't mean we're not going to see Jake Cheney and, and Tate Grass a bunch as well, I believe. Yeah, I, I think there's a very good shot that we see a lot of both pairs and, and Brian Sanborn in there as well. Um, kind of what we saw in that open practice, kind of what we saw all fall camp. There, there was continued rotation, and I guess we can ask Jim Leonard about it on Tuesday, but it, just, it feels like it's going to be a pretty maybe, – maybe somebody jumps up and grabs a job and he just needs to be on the field all the time, kind of like it was with Leo Chanel and um, Jack Sanborn, but uh, maybe that's Jordan Turner. But I, I just feel like we're going to be seeing all five of them quite a bit, quite a bit, especially early in the season. Um unless someone just grabs it. Uh, the outside linebackers, not necessarily a surprise. Uh, Nick Herbig and obviously uh, CJ Getz, the starters behind them, Caden Johnson and Daryl Peterson. I know a lot of people thought Daryl Peterson would jump up and, and bypass CJ Getz, and I think it still could happen just because I think they have a little bit of a different skill set, but CJ Getz held them off. I think, uh, that, to me, that's, that's awesome for Wisconsin because I think based on what we have, seen from Daryl Peterson and the belief that we have in Daryl Peterson in terms of what he can be for CJ gets to rise up and, and, and uh, you know, ward him off and keep him away or keep him, you know, as a second team guy at this point says a lot about what that group is. Yeah. There's an awful lot of talent there. Um, I know I've said before that Bobby Abram felt like gets was the best run stopper in the group and obviously has a lot of experience. And so I, I think we're going to see a lot of Peterson, much like the inside linebacker situation. I won't be surprised if you see Nick Herbig on basically every snap because he's the best linebacker that they've got. And then maybe Peterson gets a handful of series and, and gets is watching from the sideline, but it, it's a good problem to have for Wisconsin. Overall, I think their front seven is pretty darn good. Um, and just this defense in general, I don't know if we're going to get to predictions, but man, they, they've, there's, there is a lot to be excited about if you're a Badgers fan with that group. Yeah, no, for sure. The, the, the secondary kind of played out at least in the two corners and two safeties as kind of we expected, right? Jay Shaw, Alexander Smith listed as the top corners. And then it's Hunter Waller and John Torchio as the Torchio as the safeties. That's exactly what we thought it would be. Uh, the, the one surprise there is when they go to nickel and we know how much sub package defense that they play, uh, Cedric Dort 
is listed as, a, as the top nickelback. And then Justin Clark is the number two. Justin Clark had run as the number one for, for much of what we had seen in spring and, and for fall camp. And then he got hurt. And I don't know how serious that injury is. And he's not on the injury report, but either is Alexander Smith. So I don't know exactly, you know, maybe they won't play this this Saturday. I don't know that. But Cedric Dort jumping up and grabbing that, uh, that spot inside. I mean, all three of your transfer corners are in the two deep and, and figure to play big roles. Well, that's absolutely zero surprise. They don't go in the portal and bring in two sixth-year seniors and a seventh-year senior to have them sit. It's a, it's a mutual decision. Those guys are looking for an opportunity to play right away, and Wisconsin absolutely needed to build depth at cornerback after they lost their two starters with Caesar Williams and Fayon Hicks and with Dean Ingram flipping over to wide receiver. Certainly, it's a bit of a surprise to see Dort there listed as a starter, but that also, as you said, may have a lot to do with the health of Justin Clark, because he looked like the top guy out of the spring. He and Chimray DK went at it regularly and they were some battles. They was probably the best one-on-one battles that we saw or among the best that we saw in the spring. Um, sometimes Chimray would win and other times Justin would win. I, again, I don't know how much this initial depth chart means in terms of what the snap count will look like. I fully expect the corners to rotate frequently as they have done under Jim Leonard. You're going to need four and five guys to play. But they had to put somebody down there, um, and Dort's earned the job. He did, and again, I, I think that's a situation that is going to involve a lot of um, a lot of different pieces. The, the backup corner, Samar Melvin, who we haven't seen a ton of the last two years after playing as a true freshman. Ricardo Hallman, a guy we got to see a little bit last year. Those are the, those are the backup uh, the backup corners, and then at safety, uh, Kamoi Latu is is one of the backups, and then Preston Zachman, uh, who missed most of last year and and uh the entire spring it's good to see him it's good to see both those guys like stepping in i think there's some i i don't know how fluid that that backup safety spot is you know whether uh potentially titus toller can figure in there or austin brown another one of the uh, one of the true freshmen yeah um i don't know i don't know how many how much of the rest of the safeties we'll see is the other question that i would have is it a situation where you you trust Torchio and Wohler so much and maybe Latu gets the third and and there's not a bunch for the fourth and the fifth. Um, you know, last year they played for safeties. Travion Blaylock was basically the, the, was he the fourth guy last year and, and Hunter Wohler was the fifth and got about 70 snaps. So yeah. I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, but Preston Zachman clearly has made some significant strides. He was dealing with an injury in the spring They had moved him from a different position when he came into the program. Um, and it just takes time, and it looks like, obviously, he's made the most of that opportunity. Let's close this out here before I, before I ask you a couple more questions about the depth chart in terms of like just overall impressions of it. Um, we mentioned Vito Calvarisho beating out Nate Van Zelst. Again, uh, I thought Nate Van Zelst and the kicking that we got to see was was pretty good. Uh, we also know how drunk Jesse could get on Vito Calvarisho's leg strength, so there's there's that. And I'm on also, the bandwagon. Yes, of course. Uh, and then there is the uh, the kick return spot. Isaac Garendo listed as number one kick returner. Keontes Lewis, the number two. Stefan Bracey, who held that job when healthy last year and had that kick return against Nebraska for a touchdown. He uh, We didn't get to see him at all in fall camp. At least I didn't see him at all in fall camp. So um, I don't know where his health is. You would assume that he would be uh, an option there if he were healthy. But um, right now, Isaac Garendo, and we all we all – Love, love the the uh, athletic and speed of Isaac Rendo and the potential that that could have at kick returner. Yeah, again, another situation where if Stefan Bracey is hurt, he's not listed on the status report. Obviously, we didn't see him in in the fall. He's been dealing with injuries for a lot of his career. Um, he only practiced a couple times in the spring and then aggravated an injury that he had dealt with before. But certainly you would think if he was healthy and available he would be in the two deep they have garendo listed as the starting kick returner and Keontes lewis as the backup garendo has one career kick return if if the listeners remember it was the 49 yard return against minnesota back in 2019 when uh aaron crookshake fielded it and then flipped it to garendo so that's all we have to go on but that's a pretty darn good debut as a kick returner and if he can keep that up then wisconsin's obviously got a continuation of of the dynamic ability that they've had here the last couple of years. And for, for as maybe not impactful as the punt return game has been, it's pretty amazing what they've had as kick returners the last couple of years with, with Aaron Crookshank and then Bracey coming in and in, on his first touch last year, returning the kick 
91 yards for a touchdown against Nebraska. They need those types of plays, though, out of their special teams. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the punt returner, as it has been the last two years, right? Dean Dean held that in 2022, in, in, didn't he? I thought he did. Um, I believe he did, yeah. Yeah, uh, it is Dean Ingram. Uh, so he will be uh, the punt returner. And also, you're uh, a guy who I think is going to play a ton of slot, a guy who's got uh, some ability in the slot. Uh, so the depth chart on offense, only four seniors in the two deep. What do you think that says? Um, it says a lot about what this group could be after this season. I know we haven't <laughs> even gotten. I know we haven't even gotten to the opener this year, but um, that's what it would say to me. But I also don't want to get that far ahead because so much changes in a given in a given year with the transfer portal, and and now honestly with the potential for guys to use that extra year of eligibility with COVID, like even. Even Ches Malusi is listed as a senior, but he never took a redshirt season in his two years at Clemson. And obviously he didn't get a full year last year. So hmm. that's a situation where maybe he'd want to come back. I don't know. I, I don't know what it says exactly other than maybe the the future is bright, but people want to see that now. It's, it's time for them to do something with that offense this season. Yeah. And defensively, they have they have six seniors in the starting lineup and uh, seven in the, the two deep. Obviously, the corners that um <laughs> that, that came in the transfer corners uh with alexander and uh, excuse me cedric dort and justin clark both obviously uh, guys that are and jay shaw all guys that are taking advantage of an extra year and then alexander smith being a senior and john torchio being senior most of your uh, experience is in the secondary and I, I think that's a good thing considering what you lost last year you you lost what four starters four senior starters and in all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of more seniors in your starting lineup again. Yeah, they've replenished it very well. And I think if you went down position by position defensively and tried to figure out what is the weak link, you know, in in the spring or, or even before the spring, the big concerns were in the secondary. I don't have those concerns at all right now. Um, maybe you could say that, I, honestly, I don't even know how I would answer that question. The weak link may not even be the right way to put it. You you would say inside linebackers strictly based on the lack of playing experience, but this defense top to bottom looks like it's going to be pretty good and one of the best in the country. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Is there anything else you, that, that stood out to you uh, on the depth chart? Or did we did, did we hit everything? I think we covered it pretty, pretty well. Okay. All right. Let's move on to, uh, uh, a little over-unders for the season now. We, we're going to get into this, and we'll get into our projections or predictions, I should say, for the season coming up. Uh, first week of Big Ten football, interesting, to say the least. Uh, this this past weekend, week zero, obviously, Illinois took care of business uh, with Wyoming, but yikes, in Ireland, not good for Scott Frost. Not good for the Scott Frost lovers, which I don't think there are too many people that are listening to this podcast that probably are Scott Frost Scott Frost enthusiasts, I think is is what I would term them. There's not. Um, man, did you get to see any of that game? Uh, I uh, I'll be honest. When they went up twenty eight to seventeen, I turned to my wife and I said, "This game's over." Uh, and then minutes later, Scott Frost decided he wanted to be Scott Frost and call an onside kick up eleven. And I'm like, "They're losing." As soon as that happened, I was like, "Nope, they're losing this game. They're losing this game." Scott Frost in a whole bunch of trouble at this point. My assumption when you said this game was over was the fact you were referring to Nebraska clearly <laughs> on its way to losing yet another game by single no, digit. I'm, no, I was like, this is this is a different <laughs> this, this is a different Nebraska all of a sudden. Like uh, they they came out in the second half and really took it to Northwestern and had all the momentum on their side. And I didn't really envision it going back the other way until they gave Northwestern life with that onside kick. I just, oh, what are you doing, Scott Frost? Do you think he's so? Everybody, I think a lot of people know this, but his buyout drops by like half uh, on October 1st. It drops down to $7.5 million. Do you think he's still the coach when Wisconsin goes to Nebraska November 19th? Uh, yes, but I'm not sure that he will be two weeks later when the regular season is over. Um, I mean – you could make the case that if it's not going to work out, just get it over with early so you can let the coaching search begin. It's really hard to see. Um, it's really hard to see how he makes it out of this thing with Nebraska continuing to lose. They have put resources into the program. They have backed him in a way that you just don't back most coaches without any uh, semblance of success. He's what, 15 and 30 now in his four plus seasons there. So 
look, there's a long season to go, but I'm not sure what reason we have to believe in, in optimism at Nebraska based on everything we've seen. I mean, I think they've got something offensively, but they, they've had something offensively under them. They've put up yards. They've put up points. They've been in games. They, the, the quarterback has put up you know yards, and, and uh, Casey Thompson put up yards. But like it was with Adrian Martinez, absolutely brutal interceptions, absolutely brutal turnovers when you just can't have it. I mean, he was, he was not good uh, after uh, his ridiculous third-down conversion. He like he completed like six of nineteen, I think, down the stretch. It was and a couple of interceptions. It was really, really bad. And his receivers weren't helping him at all. There were there were a couple of plays that they should have had their hands on balls and and nothing, sh- like it. There shouldn't have been interceptions. But it feels like they just have a knack of being who they are every single game, and it's like the same thing over and over again. And but the defense, Northwestern's offense has been horrible for three years. They were bad in 2019. They were bad in 2020. Even when they won the Big Ten West, it wasn't because of their offense. And they were horrible last year. And they put up over 500 yards on your defense. They're just running it down your throat. And you've got no answer for it. It's It was uh, it was a sight to behold. And, uh, you know, accentuated by the fact that there was a bunch of free beer and free food in the stadium because the... Uh, the internet went down. They couldn't cash anything. What would that? What would happen if that happened at Camp Randall? Would, <laughs> I mean, and obviously they don't sell beer at Camp Randall. But if that happened, like, would they do the same thing? Would they give away all that food? Like, I can't imagine they would. No, no. And they'd be like, "Sorry, we're just not selling food right now." <laughs> Chris McIntosh can't be like, give away all that money. Chris McIntosh would be like, "No, no, 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 no. Just, just shut it down. Just pull down the things. We'll, we'll go without food here." Yeah, that was, that was insane. That whole, that whole situation was insane the game was amazing whole full week of football coming up uh this saturday we'll get to as i said we'll get to predictions here in a minute but i want to do some some over unders season over unders for you jesse as we get uh going and not not for you but yeah you know what i'm saying um braylon allen over so i i think that there's some expectation at least in his mind that zero 2k i've heard that you know his number and and two thousand yards i be shocked if he has a chance. So I'm not going to go. I'm not going to say over under 2,000 yards because I think it'd be too easy to take the under. Over under 1,600 yards. He ran for nearly 1,200 last year. I'm going to do a little quick math here since this is the first time hearing of it. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the over. Um, he averaged 6.8 yards per carry last season. Yep. Um, I feel like he's going to do that again. I just don't I just don't think he's going to be worse. I know the situation is different. He's coming in starting the year as the top guy, but I'm taking the over. Um obviously some of that may have to do with his health, but how much they're going to utilize Ches Malusi and even Isaac Arendo. Let's just say he carries, I don't know, 20 times a game. Um at that clip, he's hitting the over. So 1600 yards over say 13 games. Right, so you get twelve games plus the bowl game. If they mm-hmm. make the Big Ten championship game, it's different. It's fourteen. It's one hundred and twenty-three yards a game. Sixteen hundred yeah. yards would be. Is that? Doable. I mean, is it, that's doable, right? It ought to be with with how good he was last year. With with how good I think the offensive line can be. Now, the caveat here is, but is the passing game going to help him? But even then, even if teams do load the box, they've been doing that. They did that last year, and he still put up incredible numbers um yeah I, I i certainly see him having a monster sophomore season well again it's it's a matter of like do you think they're going to be having games one and, and trying to round the clock do you think that they're going to be in games having to try and play catch up i certainly think they're going to be trying to play catch up on, uh, on uh, september 24th and right. there are chances that they're going to have to be trying to play catch up other places as well um, maybe, maybe not a ton of places. Again, we'll see. I'm very high on this defense, but until it actually goes out and shows that it can be on the same level as last year's, I think that at least leaves open the possibility that, um, they may be having to play catch up kind of like they were in, you know, the Michigan game and the Notre Dame game last year, how good that defense was. And yet they were still trying to play catch up, but so you're, you're going, you're going over. I'm going to say, yeah, I think. Okay. I think the harder question for me would have been 1,800 yards or something. Um, but, well, I but, apologize, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. How uh, dare you set your my over bad. under there? Why my do you bad. think it's under for Braylon? I think that there's going to be uh, a pretty healthy uh, sharing of carries. Okay. Uh, just because I think we saw what happened at the end of last year. And I, 
when I talked to Chaz today, he said, you know, had I been around at the end of last year, it would have played out differently. And I think he's more, you know, probably pointing towards the Minnesota game, right? Like if he's, if he is healthy and taking, they're not necessarily splitting carries down the middle, but there, there's a, uh, he's, you know, Braylon Allen doesn't have to do everything himself. And in that situation, you know, maybe Minnesota looks different. Maybe Braylon's healthier and they're not having to, you know, put him out there and not really have anybody behind him to step in. So I think there's going to be a healthy sharing of carries. And if Isaac Arendo and Chuz Malusi stay healthy, I think that uh, maybe he doesn't get to that, that number. Then again, if uh, <laughs> they aren't healthy or they get hurt, well, then that over is going to hit easily because they're going to count on him and they're going to ride him. But at this point, I'm, I'm going to say under. And that's probably a very stupid thing to do, but I want to be different. I want to be different here. So I'm going to be different. Okay. All right, moving on. Apparently, I'm, I'm setting these numbers too low, though, so I, maybe I need to change this one before I, I give it to you. Um, I'm going to say over under 2,400 yards re- uh, passing for Graham Mertz. 2,400. Yeah, that would be. He went. He went. He uh, he had 1,958 yards a year ago. You know, 2,400 would be 184 yards per game yep. in over 13 games. Yeah. I'm going to take the under. Um, I just think they're still going to run the ball a ton, and I need to see. I It's not even saying I need to see the spectacular Graham that we saw one time to believe this. I just need to see it more consistently. Um, and maybe with the early schedule that they have, that can build some confidence and really show what this passing offense can do. Um, I think he'll be better than he will than he was last season. But – that's a number that I think I'm going to take the under on at this point. Whoa, so I originally had it at 2,200. Would you have taken the over if it was 2,200? Probably. All right. <laughs> so okay. I guess it falls somewhere between 20, 2,201 and, and 2,399 or something like that. And it's not like he's got to come out and throw for 200 yards a game for Wisconsin to have a successful offense. It's obviously limiting the mistakes and being more efficient. Um I thought you were going to ask me how many touchdowns he was going to throw. Hey, touchdown interceptions. Chill, chill, chill the f out. Uh, I'm getting there. All right. So we're, we're <laughs> I got we got multiple over unders here. Um, I'm going to take I'm going to take the over on that. Okay. I'm just going to I'm going to go opposite everything that you said. I think that's a wise strategy. Yeah. Uh, so the last two years he's thrown 19 touchdowns total mm-hmm. through 10, through 10 last year and nine the year before. Five of those coming in the opener. He's been. Uh, he's thrown more touchdowns, or so it should say more interceptions than touchdowns since then. However, I'm going to say here, I'm going to set this and put this over under at 16 and a half touchdowns. Over under Graham Mertz touchdowns, 16 and a half. Oh boy. Um, I'm going to take the under. Um, okay. But even if he throws 16 touchdowns and has a season with like nine picks, and it's like almost a two to one ratio. I, what a dr- drastic improvement that would be. Yes. What we, what we saw. So, yeah. so, you know, me saying I I'm taking the under doesn't mean I think Graham's going to have a bad season. I think Graham is going to be much improved. Um, and certainly he needs to be. Otherwise we're just going to be answering the same question for the next three months here on the podcast. I'm going to be writing the same thing, but uh, I, I think he'll come close, but I'm taking the under. I think he could have a, like a Scott Tolzien esque, season like junior season mm-hmm. so scott tolzien in 2009 had 16 touchdowns 11 interceptions would you take that if and 2700 yards would you take that if you're wisconsin yes definitely yeah, in a second, right yeah so and, and he, he was and he improved he jumped like 20 points in his rating uh from his, his junior to his senior year but yeah i mean like 16 touchdowns i mean it, you'd love for it to be less than 11 interceptions but um I mean, I think you would take that in a second, in a second. Uh, over, I'm I'm going to take uh, the under as well. Jim Ray DK, over under 600 yards receiving. 600. Yep. Last person to have over 600 in a season was Quintez Cephas in 2019. I'm just uh, scrolling through my stats here real quick. Yeah. See where we're at. Um. That's amazing that Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor didn't hit that number. Last um, year, yeah. I'm going to take, gosh. I guess I'll take the over. Okay. Um, 
you know, it's him and Skylar Bell yep. as the top two guys. I think Chimray is clearly the number one guy. And a lot of this has to do with who else is getting the ball, how often they throw to the tailbacks and the tight ends. But I, I think Chimray is ready for a breakout year. Um, and so I'm going to take the over, which if that was true, means that basically a fourth of Graham's yards at least would go to Chimray. Well, that's assuming that, yes. I mean, that's assuming yards wise, if he hits the over, but no, would you say, would you say a fourth or a third? A, a fourth, fourth, like a fourth. A, yeah, yeah, a fourth. Yeah. We're, look, uh, maybe you feel differently about this, but I went to, I went to journalism school with the idea of not having to do math, but um <laughs> And I'm sure you feel different about that. You probably know, you probably get the math thing all the time and it's, it's fine. Stats is like the only type of math, like not actual stats, but this type of stats that, that I'll, that I'll do. Ugh. I want to take the over. Cause I have been on record as saying he's going to be the next, he's going to be the, you know, the first true, true number one receiver. Uh, but you also have to pick the opposite of what I say. Yes. But I also have to, I also, also have to think about what I saw in camp and it, you know, for whatever reason, Chin was not heavily as heavily involved as some other guys in the practices that we saw. And that's always dangerous to do because we, as I said, we got to see so few practices. But screw it. I'm going to take the over. Uh, I, I'm I'm all on board the Chin Ray DK train. And uh, I'm going to take the over uh, for sure. Uh, defensively, Nick Herbig, who had nine and a half sacks last year, over under 10 and a half for him this year as more of a focal point of the defense and, and maybe not being able to uh, get as many single, you know, one-on-one options or one-on-one matchups that he probably had more of last year. Give me all the overs on yeah. Nick. Yeah, he had nine sure. nine sacks last year. That was number one among all Big Ten underclassmen. I just think he's going to have a monster year um, and go to the NFL after this season. That's the trajectory that he appears to be on. And what does that look like? I mean, I don't know. It, could this be like a 14-sack 20 tackle for loss type year, something crazy mm. like that. I, I mean, that'd be insane. It would. Uh, maybe I'm not willing to go that high, but I'm just yeah, putting a, it out there. That a, I think it's, it's going to be pretty darn good. You said 14. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be up there. That'd yeah. be up there. <laughs> um, I, look, I think that there's, he's going to be a more focal point, which may impact that. I'm definitely taking the over on 10 and a half. If he stays healthy, definitely over 10 and a half. I think he just, I don't know how you slow him sometimes um, other than putting, you know, two guys on him. He's going to be tough. He's going to be a tough cover for anybody. But I also think that uh, there's going to be some other opportunities for other guys along the defensive line and, and the outside linebacker room. And we'll see what they do with the inside linebackers. We've seen, you know, whether it was Chris Orr getting the double digit sacks in 2019 or, you know, what um, Jack Sanborn and, and Leo Chanel did last year, the inside guys, when they have that type of skill, Jack, uh, or to say Jim Leonard's going to use them in, in trying to get after the quarterback. And um, it, it felt like at times Leo and Jack kind of had like free reign to do what they wanted to do at, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in rushing just based on some of the, the keys that they had. But we'll see if that's the case with, with the group they have now. Um, one more, and that is, I don't know who it's going to be. So I'm just going to uh, just throw the number out there. The leading interceptor in the secondary over under four and a half. Hmm. I'm going to go the under. I'm picking the jewelry thief. Yeah. I think it's going to be Torchio. He had three picks last season and he wasn't even the main starter, uh, which I guess could lead you to believe he'd get more than four and a half. But I think the wealth will be shared. Uh, so maybe the top guy has four. Yeah. I, I, it feels like he's going to lead him. He, he, that's a, that's a dude that just has a nose for the football and it's, it's, when you when you have those type of stats and the limited time that you've got to play, it would suggest that you know you you kind of just know where the football is going to be and and you are going to find your way to it more often than not. And and for the most part, the corners at Wisconsin haven't had a ton of interceptions. Like it, it's been a while. Like usually, usually it's the safeties that have had uh, the bigger numbers for Wisconsin, right? I mean that's just mm-hmm. that's that's kind of just been the case. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with that as well and. I'll uh, I'll say over, but it's but it, I think it's going to be John Torchio. All right, so that's the over unders. Time for predictions, Jesse. Season predictions for Wisconsin batters entering this year this year uh, as the favorites to win the Big Ten West. Though uh, according to Kirk Herbstreit, he thought Nebraska was going to win it. 
uh, <laughs> Saturday morning. That that took all about five hours to look absolutely fucking stupid. Um, Wisconsin comes into this year. They've got a tougher schedule. People are projecting to win the West, but it's it, there's it's there's a lot of different people that think a lot of different teams could win the West. What do you have Wisconsin doing record wise, and how do you see this season playing out for them? You know, it'd be easy. I think it's easy to say that they're just going to win the West. Like they're picked by most of the media members who voted in the preseason poll to win the West. They're a top 20 team coming into the season. Um, I guess I think they'll wind up like nine and three and not win the West. Okay. (laughs) How's that for being pessimistic? Um, Who do you have winning the West? uh, If I'm not going to pick Wisconsin, then I suppose I'd pick Iowa. And obviously the two play in Iowa city on November 12th. Um, but a lot of those West division teams have tough crossover games. So even if Wisconsin loses early to Ohio state or, or loses at Michigan state, they could, they could still come back to win it. I guess I'll pick Iowa. Yeah. Why do you have Wisconsin going nine and three? I just don't, I don't know what this passing offense is going to look like. I, even though I think it'll be better. um, I, I don't know how much better and, you know, maybe I'll talk myself out of this pick, but, since I've got to make a decision before I see him play a game this season, that's just kind of where I'm at. I think the defense will be great. I think the run game will be good, but do they have a difference maker in the passing game that can win some of these close games? The jury is still out. And until, until I see it, that's kind of where I'm at. I want to be optimistic. I want to be like that guy that is picking them to bounce back and get back to the big 10 championship game for the first time. Since 2019, I want to be the guy that says they're going to go and you know challenge Ohio State on the road and uh, go to Michigan State and, and challenge them, and then go to Iowa later in the year and go to Nebraska. Won't throw do it, Zach. Do it, Zach. It's your chance for us to switch roles. I want to be that guy, Jesse. I do. I want. I desperately want to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy. Hmm. I'm not. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy that says uh, they are going to go eight and four and uh, not win the Big Ten West. And, um, you know, the calling for a change, which again, I think is stupid, but it's going to get continued to get louder, uh, that maybe the program has hit a little bit of a, uh, a lull and, uh, there may not be able to get back to where they were in 2017 or in 2019. And that maybe this is just who they are. That's, that's going to be me this year. Um, I'm, I've, I've been very bullish on him in the past and I'm very bullish on the defense, but as you said, I, I think the, the, the past game until we actually get to see it in the game. And I, and I've been somebody that has said, I think that there has been strides. I don't know how big those strides are, but I think that there have been strides until it actually shows up. And I don't care. I'll be honest, Jesse, do you, do you care what it looks like against Illinois state or even, you know, Washington right. state to an extent and certainly New Mexico state, <laughs> like, doesn't it have to be against a team that's actually good for that to show up and be like, Hey, all right, well, now it's legit because they actually did it against somebody with a pulse. Well, I care a little bit about what happens just to see is anything going to be different. But obviously, it's it's can you do it against the Ohio States of the world? Yeah. Again, I want to be the I want to be I want to go opposite here with me uh, with you. I want to be positive, but I just say I, I look at the, the road games and they're tough. And, you know, the way that Northwestern played the other day, that offense, if they're going to they're going to play like that. That's going to be a, a hell of a game down there at Northwestern too, a place where again, they haven't played very well. The, the, the road games. I don't, I know a lot of people just look at Nebraska and say that's a win, but all these road games are going to be challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? So uh, are they going to lose all those games? I don't think so, but I think that there's, I think there's a few, perhaps four losses on this schedule. And that's why I'm going to go. I'm going to say eight and four. They don't get it. Gosh, I'm I'm not going to pick Minnesota because I could never do that. I would I would I just can't you know it's not in my nature. I'm just I don't have it in me to do that as long as PJ Fleck is there. So I guess I'll say Iowa as well. But I think Northwestern could surprise people. This it's it is an even year, and uh, they they go to the Big Ten championship game in even years. It's it's who they are in the last four years. So yeah, that's that's where that's where my thinking's at. Am I am I being too pessimistic here? Uh, I don't think any prediction at this point is too pessimistic or too <laughs> optimistic. Like, I don't know. Well, if we, we, we've seen this 
for many years. And so maybe we're just jaded or something. <laughs> I'm sorry to dampen all the spirits of everybody listening. We uh, have been wrong quite frequently if it makes you feel any better. So yes. uh, we could very well be wrong this season. But like that's why they go out and play. They, they can shut us up real quick. By doing nope. something at the end of September. Yeah. The greatest thing, like the greatest thing about this time right here, and, and really, you know, like last week before you, before week zero, like this was going to be the year for Nebraska. This was going to be that. This is going to be this. They're going to, they're going to turn around. Scott Frost has all the pieces in place and all that optimism goes out the window within, you know, three hours. It's awesome. And, you know, come, come Saturday night. Again, it's it's Illinois State. I don't necessarily think this is going to be a close game or an, or a, a game we're going to be able to take a ton from. Maybe Washington State the following week will give us a little bit better idea, but we could be proven wrong. I've only been right once in a in a season prediction. I've only been right once in the the uh, gosh, this is year ten for me. I've only been one, right once, and that was in 2017. I said, "Screw it, I'm just going to say they're going undefeated." Right? Yes, because me they too, didn't actually play, because they didn't play anybody. They didn't yes. put, like they had Michigan at home. Like that was their only tough games. Like I, yeah, there's, I mean, I, I I'm just going to say it and it worked out. That's the only time I've been accurate. Other times been blatantly wrong. And, and uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to that, that are, that are hoping that's going to be the case. And, and I'll own it because I think that there's a lot of, like the thing is, I think there's a lot of talent on this team. I think there's a lot to, to be excited about if you're a fan. And I think that they, there's a very high upside with this group. I just think they're, until you actually see it, I'm kind of jaded right now uh, when it when it comes to this passing game and and what it what it could potentially be for for the offense. It's it's totally understandable, and I, I do think that the, a lot of Badgers fans and I, you know certainly can't speak for everybody out there, but there's just a point where it's like all this talk is just talk, and and now we got to go see something different from Wisconsin, especially in the passing game. Um, it's been two years of this. And so you got to go out there and show people now that something's going to be different. Yeah. It's, it should be fun though. Right. Like uh, there's the, the unknown here is, is the fun thing. And um, you know, maybe it won't be fun come Saturday night <laughs> for, for people, but uh, football is here. Finally, we'll get to see the Badgers on the field against Illinois state Saturday night at six o'clock at camp Randall. Uh, Jesse, we will be in the press box and we'll have a show on Monday morning for you guys to listen to. Uh, Until then, thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right. You've been listening to The Camp.